This is Sarah Stewart-Holland. And this is Beth Silvers. Thank you for joining us for Pantsuit Politics. Thank you so much for joining us today at Pantsuit Politics. We have a very special episode for you. We are delighted to welcome our friend Chelsea Devantes to the show. Chelsea hosts the excellent podcast Celebrity Book Club, where she discusses celebrity memoirs. She has spent much of her career writing political comedy, including for The Problem with Jon Stewart. And today she's going to talk with us about the state of political comedy, where she thinks it's going, and what is not working anymore. Before we get started, we have a very exciting announcement. If you're a listener of the show last year, you know that we were both late arrivals to the brilliance that is HBO show Succession. We've caught up after the season three finale last spring, and season four starts at the end of March. And you guys, we're going to be doing real-time episode recaps on our premium channels. Beth, I'm an only child, okay? TV was my sibling, and I've waited my whole life to be able to have some sort of professional platform in which I can talk about TV like this. I could not be more excited. I think it's going to be so fun, especially because Succession is clearly going in a very political direction for its final season. So it's perfect for our audience. We know we're going to have great discussions with all of you. I can't wait. So it will be for our $15 a month level patrons and everyone subscribed on Apple Podcast subscriptions. You can get more info about how to become a premium member in our show notes. Up next, the one and only Chelsea Devantes talks with us about political comedy. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Chelsea. Hello. My I'm dear, so dear friends. Oh my God, we're so happy you're here. I wish we were all at a Winona Judd concert or a Brandy Carlisle concert, but this Zoom is second best. We so will be almost Sunday. as good. We'll one day, one day, we're going to be like at Brandy's compound hanging out. I feel it. We'll put that I'm in the air for us. That. Yeah, yeah, we'll manifest that. I was thinking about how I wanted to kick off this conversation about political humor. And I love that joke that when people make fun of Jerry Seinfeld, which who I believe to be 
of comedic importance. I'm not trying to bust on them where they're, they're always like, so what about Pop-Tarts? And I kind of want to be like, so what about political humor, Chelsea? So what's the deal with what's political humor? Yeah, I'm really curious your take, but I have been having a feeling for a long time, which is that political humor has not caught up to where the people are at. Mm. They are still doing the political humor of pre-Trump, even a little before then. Like at some point there was an incredible, you know, it was really Jon Stewart on The Daily Show when he took it over. You know, The Daily Show was just pop culture and news bits and like it was very Mm -hmm. lighthearted. In John's tenor, it became, uh, he had heavily point of view driven comedy, and he also was sampling actual footage from places people did not watch. People were not watching C-SPAN. They were not watching congressional hearings. He was taking footage, and Fox News, if you didn't watch Fox News, Mm -hmm. and he was taking this footage, and it was so potent. It was so funny. It was how many people got their news. It's how people started caring and getting invested in politics, and it was so revelatory for the time. And now times have shifted, and people are still doing a comedy that I think fits a better political landscape. Yeah, they're still doing the, let's take this piece of footage and make fun of it. Yeah, or really just that, like, in, you know, the sort of, like, the 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 component of satire. And this is the thing where it's, like, you know where people are, some dude at work might be, like, oh, you look ugly today. And you're, like, oh, that hurts my feelings. He's, like, what? It's a joke. And <laughs> <laughs> jokes, the funny thing about them is that there's a- actual science and formula to them. And so it has to have a few things in order to actually be a joke. And with satire, it's it's all about heightening. And it's about heightening to give power to the underdog. So you're making a punchline out of the person with power. So if you're ever like, it's a joke, you know, I'm doing satire and you're making fun of like a protected class, that's actually not satire. But with Trump, in order to satirize your opinions and make fun of those (laughs) clips, you have to go so far. He already went so far. And it actually makes satire a little bit impossible at times. You can't really satirize Trump because, like, how do you satirize someone who who has a sound clip saying grab them by the pussy? Like, what would I have to say out of my mouth to exaggerate that? Right. How do you exaggerate something that's so already exaggerated? Yeah. Now I'm doing some crazy humor if I am satirizing that. And so I think it's a I think it's a struggle in many ways because of the actual content of politics right now. Yeah, I think the only funny Trump thing is a straight up impression. And how much of that can you handle? You know, Absolutely. I think James Austin Johnson has done the best Trump that I've seen. Yeah, yeah. And it is funny now because Trump isn't in my TV every day or on my phone or in the headlines every day. So when he pops in with that impression now, it's OK. I like what you said about The Daily Show. It was like taking us to a place where we weren't. Yeah, And I mm-hmm. think that you're, you're right. The problem is we are there all the, all time, the time now. So all where can humor time. take us that we aren't? And exactly. that's hard. We also had that moment with Sarah Cooper where she did something... Yeah. She took it and and turned it just a little bit. I mean, I was obsessed with her. I thought those were so funny because to watch her with that with his voice coming out of her mouth was something we weren't used to. So it was it was like not exaggerating it, but she found she found a way to do that that I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah, well, I think what you just said it kind of explains the joke exactly, which is like revealing an unexpected truth. And the mm-hmm. truth was that seeing his words come through a black woman's mouth gave people the awareness of just how crazy what he was saying yes. is because we have we you know to be a white man affords you a lot of. Um, <laughs> What's the word? Power? Power. <laughs> you know, where, where it was just like we were so used to it and seeing it coming out of, out of someone's mouth who we would never let get away with those things, I think, was revelatory. That said, that concept also didn't really extend beyond right. his own clips. And it wasn't really – there. that wasn't like a point of view comedy. You know, that mm-hmm. was more parody. And so, so I do agree that like that really gave us a moment in comedy. But – I think it's that thing of like we have to go some we have to comedians have to take us somewhere different now and that and that our same tools that used to be very popular I don't think are working anymore and I don't feel like people are accepting that. And since we're talking about satire, I don't know when this came out, but remember and I know it's we're all, we all hate Malcolm Gladwell now. I'm 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 hip on that take that nobody We we've, we've reached the tipping point we, and we've we we've tipped into tipped right over and nobody likes Malcolm Gladwell anymore. But remember he did that episode about satire where it's like you pull people and both sides of the aisle were taking something from the satire that made themselves feel better. 
And I did think that was kind of interesting, an interesting way to think about satire. And I think that happens a lot on Saturday Night Live. Everybody is getting something to sort of glom onto and make fun of. And I thought, I wonder how much this is working on comedians. Like, am I... Because I think the other thing that happened in the Trump era in particular was this sense of like, am I making it worse? Like, will Jimmy Fallon ever live down ruffling his hair? I don't know. Probably not. Like, you know, am I humanizing? Am I, by using comedy, am I am I making something less impactful or less important? Am I downplaying the impression or the seriousness of this issue? And you, in, in this way, because he was, you couldn't satire him because he was so over the top. I opened up a lot of interesting conversations, I think, about satire and political humor and what are we doing here and are we making it worse or are we making it better? Yeah, I mean, I particularly don't, probably because I am a comedian, so this is just where I come from, but I don't ever buy into the did we make it worse arguments only because I think, here's the thing, like ruffling his hair isn't actually a joke. Like, so, so him giving Trump a platform, we could definitely argue like, it was it did it make it worse to give Trump a, Trump a platform? Like yes, bringing him on SNL did that give him a platform? Yes. Did making him a, a constant part of the news cycle, no matter if it was CNN or Fox, whatever news, it was constant free press. Did that make it worse? Yes. When it comes to making jokes, I don't think again, like unless the jokes are making a protected class or or someone who already suffers like the punchline those power dynamics to me are so clear, but like making jokes about Trump, I think only bring awareness, which is different than a platform, which is different right. than putting Trump on your show to me. Right. And I, I, I know there's been a lot of arguments too of like, Oh, did, you know, like political satire and we have just so many shows came from it. Like, you know, full frontal with Sam B yes. and, why am I not naming the 10 others? You know, it's like Jordan Klepper had With shows. John Oliver. John Oliver and all these shows. And I know there was an argument to be made of like, oh, these shows brought us Trump. Mm. It's like, that is that is such a straw man's argument. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's just such a, to me, that's such a false equivalency. If anything, like those shows pointed out how uh, how it still wasn't enough for so many people to be aware of what they were doing. And still vote for them and let them into power. And I think the truth is that they those shows felt like we could save ourselves and that progressives were going to save us and that progressives had the power. And the truth is that we didn't. Yeah. You know, maybe that's where it's at fault. But it felt to me like at a certain point when The Daily Show started, there were genuine moments of discomfort, which I think is when comedy shines. It's when yes. you're laughing and you're, but you're laughing because you're like, oh, shit. Like, <laughs> oh, no. like. That's the genius. And to a certain at a certain point, even on the Daily Show itself, it just became like there was no discomfort. It was a lot of patting ourselves on the back. Aren't we so smart? Aren't we so progressive? Aren't we so in on the joke? And it's like, I don't want to be in on the joke. I want the joke to work on me. That's what good comedy does. And I think those that ecosystem of comedy shows, not always, not every episode, but sometimes there's a sense of like, I, you you're in on the joke instead of letting the joke work on you. Interesting. I mean, I I again heavily biased, but I <laughs> I think I think a lot of people started doing political comedy and political satire who didn't always have something to say, mm. something deeply deeply personal to say, and our best satirists have like in, like really strong uh, opinions and really strong beliefs for justice, and it comes through in their comedy. John, to me, is like one of the most incredible political thinkers, and he genuinely, genuinely, genuinely cares. And that show was always saying something. And I, I do believe if you look back, like you will see like the, there was always like genuine messages and beliefs and and a sense of justice and trying to get people to do the right thing. I do think that when we go into the larger ecosystem, sometimes people are just popping off a joke. You know, we're popping mm -hmm. off our president joke. We're popping off our congressional joke. And to me, that's where a lot of the hollow, like, you know, we're all in on the joke. We're all, you know, you can kind of get the patterns of the jokes or, or worse to me is this like genre of comedy that came about that's like learning comedy where basically yes. it's like it's a TED talk with with the same pattern of jokes every 40 seconds and yeah. we're learning and we're lightly laughing. That to me, <laughs> not comedy, you know, and yet it was branded as such and told to people this is political comedy. It was not. It was a Wikipedia article with some screaming. <laughs> 
I love that. That's so true. I'm wondering how much you think format is driving the way people are approaching this. Because when when The Daily Show first came out, I watched it from the beginning to the end all Mm -hmm. at one time. And now I know that even the late night comics who have people like my parents who watch them beginning to end every night are also aware that what they're mostly trying to do is make a clip that gets shared everywhere. And I wonder, especially as a writer, how you think about that and if you think that has driven some of where the political comedy shows have gone. That's a really great question. I mean, I I think in this world, all my friends are comedians. It has been so long since a viral political comedy, like late night show clip has come across my feed. I mean, like, and this is my world. Like, it's not really, I I just, I think, I think possibly the format is driving it that way. I also, I just really think we're not meeting people where they are in the moment, which also means how they take in content. Mm -hmm. And like, if you're aiming for the content that's online, a clip from a TV show almost never is going to translate as well as an off the cuff TikTok can live on its own, you know, and if you're watching a television show, it should be meeting that particular format too. So I think format has a huge piece of it. I also think, you know, the way we take in content is affecting it a lot. And the thing I will point out, and again, yes, I'm obviously a John Stan, but um, (laughs) did you... See. We are in our 40s. Obviously, we are John Stans. Like, yeah. <laughs> hello. I love The Daily Show. I, I was yeah. so every sad night, when he stopped every hosting Every night. It. Absolutely. And I left it when he stopped hosting it, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there, there was something powerful about his personality and demeanor that that I feel like we all grew along with well, we you know, during trust. his tenure there. But again, like, he and Trevor, I think what's so interesting to me about Comedy Central and the decision makers is that they they could not see again like comedy has not to be a total loser and i and i don't come at comedy with being like oh formulas and blah blah like that's not how i think of it but if we're analyzing it then i can go there and and they it's like they didn't even realize how wildly different the two comedians were even mm-hmm. down to and i'm not talking about like how like where they come from or how they grew up i'm talking about joke styles mm-hmm. and yeah. John is a point of view driven comedian. Trevor Noah is more of a parody impressions. Like his stand up comedy before The Daily Show was not political satire. And so he brought us a different Daily Show that a lot of people, you know, really loved, but it wasn't a continuation of the same show. Right. And I think they tried to pretend it was. And I think what's so interesting when people have conversations about political comedy. <laughs> Like, so we sent you that piece in the Wall Street Journal that was like, why aren't people making fun of Joe Biden? Is it because, like, people are so, they interviewed Dana Carvey, which, whoosh, I guess that's, that that we could start with that. We start with that choice. Yeah, it's like, this is, this is your hot go-to, to, to, and like, Dana Carvey, genius, but like, again, meet the moment. We are in 2023, like. And I just thought, okay, I, I agree with you to a certain extent. Like, I agree that they're, that people are going a little easy on Joe Biden when he is rife for comedy. And I thought, but the idea that, like, political comedy is not out there, ignores Hannah Gatsby, ignores Jared Carmichael, ignores Bo Burnham. Those are political shows. Like, they You are. know, it's interesting you say that because I don't think either of those three would ever define as political comedians. Oh, I don't think they would either. I think Come that goes on. to my point, though, of like, yes. you're fine. You're looking for comedians to take you someplace new. The comedians Innovation. who are not political comedians are the ones who are doing it. Yes. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. And the political comedians are not. It's not news driven, right? It's it's political, yes. but it's not newsy. It's point of view driven. It's yeah. 2023. This is politics. That's the point, right? The point is, in the year of our Lord 2023, everything is political. So the idea that you would have political comedians, whereas like the personal is political in a on steroids in 2023, right? And I think so when people are out there innovating and they're pushing, I mean, there are some, they are making political points, not partisan points, not partisan points, right? Yeah, yeah. But points about how we are living in society together, what that means, like... That's a great point. Come on. I mean, and I just think about, like, Bo Burnham has my 11-year-old singing that the FBI killed Martin Luther King. Like, what? what is happening? You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's wild. I think, yeah, that's such a beautiful point. It's like, but we really, you know, political comedy, it's like someone's in kind of a suit or a blazer, mm-hmm. you know, they're talking straight to camera and they're they're kind of going off of the news of the day and then hitting their take. And Bo Burnham's over here is like playing a piano, doing a light show and revealing he was in a set the whole time and then he's outside, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and I, I totally agree that, that like, 
politics have become everything. Mm-hmm. And so it's like the comedians who are just making fun of what's going on in our life are the ones who are taking us to places that matter. Well, and you just think about, if you look back at the history, I feel like the history of political comedy are those moments when somebody stood up and and pushed it into a new realm and said, oh, no, no, I'm saying something political too. I'm saying it and I'm making you laugh, but I'm saying it in a new way, in a different way. I'm not going to just sit up there. Even when I was reading that article and they were talking about that record about the Kennedys that sold like 12.5 million copies, which is bananas. But it's like, that's because they were doing something new. Like that was new. It doesn't seem new to us now when we've been making fun of politicians and their families for decades, but it was new then. Yeah, I I, I totally agree. And I, and the thing I was going to, that, that comes to mind with my, my John fandom is this season of the problem with John Stewart season two, they had an episode on gender. And John sat down with a senator and just interviewed her about her beliefs and why she was pushing this bill to make it so that gender-affirming care was not available in her state. And because he is such a political thinker and he has all these qualities to him, but at the end of the day, he's always a comedian. He was able to say things that everyone wants to say and everyone wants to see Mm -hmm. said. And the clip went viral and it went viral as this is what good journalism is. I was like, that's so funny. This is comedy. Yeah. This is comedy, but comedy is truth. Comedy makes you laugh at like the truth and what's real. And he was able to get more at the truth than a journalist because he was just saying, I think he ended the interview by saying like, well, I hope you fail extravagantly. And, um, Hope you perish. Like, have a great day, <laughs> you know? And I, I do think that, like, those are the things we're looking for. And, like, they are being done on his show. It's just on Apple, and not everyone has well, it. Well, <laughs> it's so interesting because to be a comedian involves so much vulnerability. And, and I mean, I know this sounds fawning, but bravery. And I kind of believe it. Not, I'm not saying, like, every stand-up comedy is brave. But to a certain extent, if you ask people how they feel about standing up in front of a crowd, now stand up in front of a crowd— and make really vulnerable jokes, well, then, yeah, it is a very, it's an incredible act that people... They're all so brave. I mean, even if they're not making vulnerable jokes, even if their entire act is an impression of a duck, you're brave. (laughs) Well, and I just thought, like, wouldn't you love, like, I would give anything to, like, take that legislator to examine what we're doing here and have, like, Jared Carmichael do that interview, and then Bo Burnham do that interview, and then Hannah Gatsby do that interview. Like, wouldn't that be so interesting to just watch how... They take those pieces apart and engage with that woman and, like, make the choices. I think that would be—I will watch that all day long. I think it would be so fascinating. I, I'm a maybe on that because <laughs> John has 30 years now that's of, of following this in and out. And he knows—he the when he goes in for an interview, he is so— fully prepared that when she sits there and says, well, you know, gender affirming care um, makes children want to kill themselves. He can cite all of the studies that makes that untrue and say, tell me what study. And she can't. You do have to be able to, I think for good political comedy, you do have to know politics really, really well. And who's sitting across from you? Yeah. And who's sitting across? I mean, like, yeah, it's always funny when the comedian knows more than the uh, legislator. (laughs) I wonder where you think political comedy can go next. Mm-hmm. I'm sort of sad that we don't have that sort of heyday Daily Show vibe going in lots of places right now because I do think that humor lights up our brains differently. Yeah. And it brought so many people into that learning space when it was lighthearted learning, not just a TED Talk with some some little jokes, as you said. <laughs> but like when it was lighthearted learning, I feel like people got something really important from it. And yeah. and now we desperately need to be able to laugh a little bit about our politics. And it's just become so challenging to find mm-hmm. spaces where it feels okay to, to laugh about them. So I wonder where you think we can go from here. Can you fix this is what I'm asking <laughs> you, Chelsea. You don't have anything to. else going on. You should have time. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had the answer. If I did, maybe I would go uh, start up a network. I do <laughs> think there's great political comedy happening still. I, I love what John is doing. I I see a direction where what field correspondents used to do on The Daily Show where they're like in the field and like talking to people. So kind of like the pattern of that is ask questions that will ironically show how wrong the person you're talking to is. 
And those have been very funny. I think going out into the field, not with that comedic angle anymore, but to actually capture the reality of what's happening and then come in with a joke, almost like reality. I don't want to say like reality TV. I do think those lighthearted jokes don't hit anymore because no one cares. Like me making a video being like, can you believe all these anti-vaxxers don't believe in the vaccine, but they do believe in uh, getting chicken pox shots? And you'd be like, yeah, man, we know. (laughs) No. You know what I mean? Or if I was like, oh my God, can you believe this guy who um, is so anti-pedophile is actually a pedophile himself? You'd be like, yeah. Yeah, uh-huh, we know. So yeah. I, those little quips, those little lighthearted jokes, those little tiny takeaways, I don't see, personally, I don't see what the point of them is anymore. I think we need a comedian who has something really deep to say and someone who has solutions. I actually think that's the area we have not gotten mm. to. Where are comedic solutions? Because simply pointing out the problem, I think is extremely depressing right now. Yeah. I think we'll come around, there'll be a day when pointing out the problem again is re- like revelatory and we can all laugh at it and that's new to us. But I think right now we need someone to point out something we haven't seen before and, and a way forward that actually seems possible. Otherwise, it all seems like a waste of our time. It's like sign another petition comedy. You know what I mean? Yeah. What do you guys want to see? I mean, I think when comedy is Firing in all cylinders. Like when a comedian is doing that, the solution is there because the solution is we're all in this together. This is a human problem, right? Like, and we are like that connecting us together is really part of the solution, right? I, I saw one of those man on the streets, one of the best ones I've seen in a long time because they do get a little played out. It was a woman and she was walking around and interviewing men about like reproductive, like biology. She's mm-hmm. like, how many homes yeah, does yeah. a woman have? You know, like yeah, just yeah. some of them were like one of this guy was like standing next to his girlfriend who was an OBGYN and getting them so wrong. But it didn't feel like, again, just one more like way, like, ugh, you know, aren't isn't this terrible? Like it it felt like these guys aren't the problem. They're just a way for us to all see the problem more clearly. We're not mad at them individually. You know what I mean? Like this isn't about yeah. like shaming this guy on the street who encountered our microphone. This is about showing how, like, revealing, revealing the How little is taught about that one. Yeah, I mean, listen, because I am a comedian, I am as far as you can go on the jaded spectrum. Like, as as far as you can be over it, like, that's where I live because it's my job. But for me... I am even still like, we know, like, how do we, how do we get our rights back? Like, yeah. And that's what she said. She was like, vote like your rights depend on it because they don't even, even know how that, many holes you that have. That doesn't always work. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, like I need, I think maybe I need like a season of ungerrymandering enough so that a vote would matter through jokes. <laughs> that I think that's where I'm at, where it's sort of like, yeah, we we know dudes don't know anything about women at all. <laughs> but that dude didn't vote to take away Roe v. Wade. Right. Right. He was like on his jolly way through Central Park. Yeah. I mean, I know this is this is not the point, and but I am finding the most life-changing comedy happening in formats that are not tell like not your classic political comedy television shows. Ooh. I'm seeing it happen in podcasts. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing it happen in narrative half-hour comedies. Like if yep. you watch Abbott Elementary, like it's just a really funny show, but hidden inside every show is a politically minded joke that sh- that should pop your awareness a little more to the forefront. I think that's where a lot of great work is happening. So we just talked with Megan Garber from The Atlantic about her new cover story, We Already Live in the Metaverse. Mm-hmm. And she writes in that piece about how after the Uvalde shooting, people were reaching out to Quinta Brunson to be like, can you write an Abbott Elementary show? about a school shooting. And she was like, I can't even ask if y'all are okay. You clearly are not. Like this, no, yeah. no. Yeah. But Megan's piece says, of course people ask for that. Entertainment is how we make meaning. And we have accelerated our reliance on entertainment to help us make meaning significantly over the past few years. Yeah, We are writing dramas about how politicians handled COVID before we're out of COVID. Like, we're just, we need it more and more and more because this is the only way that our brains can cope with all of the things that we're aware of. And so I I see the struggle. I love SNL. And I really see the struggle with SNL because you can tell they know what they're doing is important, but it's too important. The weight of it is too much. And so I think sometimes it just, it can't work because it's, it's that ask to Abbott Elementary. Take this 
take this thing that is too much for all of us and help me process it and also make me laugh at the same time. I just don't know if that's that's fair when you haven't had any lapse in time, when the comedians are still processing too. Yeah. I'm not looking to solutions. I really am not looking to comedians for solutions. I think what they do is hard enough and important enough to to connect us, to bring that vulnerability, to bring that that transcendent moment where you are laughing and going, oh shit. Like that's enough. That's enough. Yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting because I am the one who said solutions and I think I'm just like begging for it personally. <laughs> but it's also it's like if you really think of a comedian. We're the ones who like don't have top sheets on our mattresses at 30. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like we live off of old pizza, we <laughs> sleep with the worst of the worst, and we generally have an intense amount of failures that keep leading us to make jokes. So to go to them for solutions and like you said Beth, like it's like they write that show in a week, you know, and so and one of those nights on Tuesday they stay up all night long. It's like a long SNL tradition which, you know, very tough. So to hear the news and you as a human have to take in the news, also you're going to process it and come back out with something of heft, but also hilarious. That's It's a really big task. And I do think it takes a really huge toll on your mental health. And I can even just speak about my own mental health. I mean, when I left the opposition with Jordan Klepper, that was a show that really specifically was satirizing the alt-right. So like your Alex Jones, your like, it was, it wasn't just Fox News. It was like all those alt-right spinoffs. And so you take in a lot of the content just to make jokes about it. Right. So it's, it's a lot of your day is like listening to these things before you can write about them. So when I left the opposition, I like went to pack up my New York sublet because I was moving to LA and I found that I own three crank radios. Ladies and gentlemen, I had bought them because it had the paranoia (laughs) And the doomsday preppers had seeped into my bloodstream. I mean, that's how they, that's why like Mm -hmm. Fox News is just constantly running those ads for like old coins and catheters because you end up buying them, you know? So I looked at myself, I said, oh my God, I, I I have been, I have, this has gotten into me in such a bad way. I gave away two of the crank radios. I kept one. You never know, you guys. I kept one. (laughs) My Eagle Scout husband endorses that choice, Chelsea. (laughs) Thank you. And um, so, so, <laughs> so anyways, it can be very intense on your mental health to take it in and then to turn around and to make it funny, especially with everything we just went through in the last four years. I had a lot of mental health crises in the middle of doing my job that I had to learn how to make a part of my processing to like have to have a cry and then write the jokes. Yeah. And you can see that burden. I mean, again, on SNL, I think... <laughs> I sound like a Jared Carmichael stand. When he came out after the Will Smith, Chris Rock thing and was like, I'm not, I'm not doing that with you guys right now. Like, that's not what I'm here for. Like, yeah, that's yeah. not what I'm here to do. Jared is fearless, fearless. If you saw him host the Golden Globes, which I'm sure will be the last time he ever does, <laughs> um, he's fearless. He's fearless. He really just and he he's not afraid to call out what is considered like impolite or taboo. Ooh, and that takes enormous toll. Enormous toll. Enormous toll. Yeah. It could also take a toll on your career and, and your finances and all of it. I love it. Yeah. You ask what we want in comedy. You know, I'm not sure that I totally know, but mm-hmm. I do love that good comedy always calls me to introspection. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think that's enough. Like, I, I think that I have gotten burned out on some political humor because it does feel so much like it's calling me to just feel awesome because I'm not them. I'm not those people who are mm-hmm. hilariously dumb or uninformed or cult-like or whatever. And I don't want that. I want the comedy that says, you, ma'am, are also a lot of contradictions mm-hmm. and uh, complicated and irrational. <laughs> you know, take take a look at you. That's what I love from comedy. It's so, it is so yeah. true. It's so true. And when it is done well, when you just feel like you are like, those moments when you watch something that was so brilliant and so live and so raw and just so many moving parts and it all comes together and you're like, what just happened? Like, it is such a high. It's a high to watch it. I can't fathom what it's like to do it, you know? To yeah, just, yeah. To be like, and I mean, like, I remember, I have the poster behind me. I remember the first time I watched Ali Wong's special on Netflix in the middle of raising young kids. I can cry about it. It was so yeah. impactful on me to feel like, 
oh my gosh, somebody sees what I'm going through and sees like the ridiculousness and the humor and the, you know, the politics of it all. Like our shows are political. Like, don't tell me those art shows aren't political. The main I, I, yeah. leave. Like, and it just, I mean, I literally, I loved it so much. I could cry about how much that show meant to me. Yeah, I can see it in your eyes, I, which is like, listen, as a comedian, that's not my special, but I'm like, wow, the power of comedy. But that's right. I, it, but I, I think what's really getting me about what you're saying, Sarah, is like, you are looking at politics the way, like, social political. Like, Ali Wong would never be considered a political comedian, but you're right. Calling for maternity leave, a very political act. And just existing as a pregnant woman on stage. Asian-American, that's a political act. Oh, my God. The thing she was saying with that big old pregnant belly, I felt like this yeah. is a revolution. I'm witnessing it a revolution. Is. It is. And I do think that's the political comedy we want right now. Mm-hmm. In that, it is nothing like our traditional political comedy. Yeah. You know, like where we're talking about life and raising kids and what you need to live in life and making jokes about it. And that is a political call for maternity leave versus – the sort of monologue at you. Can you believe how ridiculous it is? Because we can believe. And Beth, what you were saying about introspection is like, I love that you want the joke on you. You know what I mean? Where you're like, I'm ready to do the work. I think that makes you a good person. I think a lot of people are like, I'm good laughing at others. But I, <laughs> I, I do think that even if you just want to laugh at others, again, introspection the the act of it is is you've you've been shown something new. You got to think about it. You got to go inwards mm. and think about it. And I don't think we're being shown something new. We're being shown that things are terrible and we're divided and things are dumb. And we're like we know. Yeah. And we and you do have to go further than that right now. And you know the and to call back here because that's what comedians do. I know enough. Oh hell yeah. That's oh right. hell yeah. To John Stewart and who else I think who's the master at it, especially on the late show, is Stephen Colbert. And that's because they both have such enormous empathy. You feel it. It's dripping out of them. Like you feel that sense of like, I'm not just showing this to you. I care. I want it to be different. Like I am invested in this and in all of you. Like you feel it from both of them. You felt it all through The Daily Show. You feel it with Stephen Colbert. Like I think that's why best parents watch his show from beginning to end. I think Colbert can go a lot further. Mm. I really do. And I and I really think that, especially with, like, women's rights, I think there's a lot further to go to get to those, like, searingly hilarious point of view-based topics. I do think, like, yes, comedy brings us all together, but also, like, we're pretty divided right now and we don't belong together always. You know what I mean? And so to do comedy that can apply to everyone sometimes means you're watering down yeah. your point of view. I mean, I can't even talk about Prince Harry without getting a comment being like, how dare you do this to Princess Kate? You know? And if I'm like, well, Princess Kate, you know, someone's like, how dare you do were Harry and Meghan? It's like, politics is a million times worse. Oh my gosh. I was wondering what your DMs were like as you were going through that. You know what? It, it's so funny to me because I was like, oh, sure, you know, I'll cover Prince Harry's book. It's not normally what we do on the podcast. And then I did it and I forgot that, like, it would bring in people I don't want they're to not listen cookies. to my podcast. They are not yes. cookies. Like, get out of here. I, I got my first two bad reviews from covering <gasps> Prince Harry's memoir and not being loyal to the monarchy. You're an American. <laughs> Yes, but apparently I should have seen that, you know, this is all Prince Harry's words and the Queen and Princess Kate. And yeah, it's very funny. Well, you got to wear your bad reviews like a badge of honor, you know, That's just right. somebody That's has, right. a, has a thing to say always. That's mm-hmm. a good transition, though, because we were hoping you'd stick around for Outside of Politics. And we really wanted to talk to. to you about your wedding. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Thrilled. Thrilled. It was three months ago. <laughs> I wish I could go back. I would talk about it for every day if I could. <laughs> just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, 
Regency-era historical fiction and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsy. Can I just wax poetic here a moment about you? Chelsea has somehow managed through her Instagram stories, which is one of my favorite places on the internet and my husband's favorite places on the internet. And we don't <laughs> share a lot of favorite places on the internet. There's not a lot of crossover. He likes pocket knives and everyday carries. This is not a, there are not places we coexist. Do you understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. He was like, remind her I'm a cookie. Don't tell her I'm a cookie. And I'm like, I'll, she knows. Okay. So. I'm so honored. To have this space and to single-handedly wrestle weddings back from this industrial complex, to single-handedly make them fun and engaging and lovely again. Like you have accomplished something for humanity the way you <laughs> you invited us all along on this. And still, we're out here. We spent months on Benifer's wedding cups and I'm not even mad about it. I'm not. We're still in it with the cups. I'm fine. Let's stay in it with the cups. I don't know how you did that. <laughs> I don't know how you did that because there had been a lot of money spent on making weddings soulless and consumptive and terrible. and you. And I guess we should probably give some credit to your husband. How single-handedly just ugh, wrestled it back. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. That was absolutely so nice. And I it's it's really I'm I'm also happy to hear you say that because you know, I'm writing this book and I I was writing this chapter about the wedding and I yeah, I'm definitely like uncomfortable and embarrassed about how much the internet was a beautiful part of my wedding process. Amazing. And I was like, that is such a gross sentence. No. But I planning it was <laughs> had such a 
um, there were so many people who were weighing in on Instagram that it was mm. actually like a huge part of it. And something that I actually kind of missed because it was like so lovely having these conversations and like just dis- disrupting, disrupting the industry. Oh. Um, it, it was so fun. And it weirdly like Instagram was a big part of my wedding, which is, you know, not the most, not something you But like people hear that saying. and if they don't understand what you're talking about, not like in this like Pinterest way, she had the thing every, y'all, her wedding, the things that she, you had a stand in for you and you see her so people, you could enjoy the wedding and people could get pictures taken with you. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Very. Vague, vague versions of us. Them, thank you. I mean, I had so much fun and I think, and, and I'm so happy that other people had fun. I think the, the key thing, which I never could have planned was that I did not grow up and uh, in a traditional way, I don't come from a traditional family and neither does Yasser. And I truly had no idea uh, what was waiting for me when I went to plan a wedding. Like, I just didn't know. And like, obviously, like, I was like, oh, like dresses, party. <laughs> like, of course, of course I want that. You know what I mean? Like, let's have a wedding. And the first time I went to try on wedding dresses, I went into the store with my friends. So here's the thing. I was like, I know I'm going to have a drag queen dress designer make my dress. I just knew it. I knew I was going to get married in gold. I'd known that all my life, right? So I set that up. And then I was like, you know, it'd be kind of fun to try on a white dress just for fun with my friends, just so I can have the moment, right? So I make this appointment I, for my friends. I Googled in LA most expensive wedding dress store, okay? Because I'm here to have fun. I'm not here to buy a dress, right? <laughs> On the phone, she's like, what's your, uh, she's like, what's your wedding dress budget? I said, $1 million. A <laughs> <laughs> million dollars. She was like, huh? And I was like, $1 million. Like, I was just like, let's go. We walk into the dress store and she was like, what are you looking for? And I was like, big, give me your biggest dress. And she looks at me like pretty confused. And I'm, I'm looking around the store and I'm like, I guess they only sell like slips in the front and like all the good dresses are in back. Like I just really couldn't understand it. So anyways, cut to this woman bringing me slips that were $12,000 each and, and not meant to go over a butt or boobs or anyone who resembles a woman, you know? And so we're just like, I'm just stretching on these like little fair, these little little fairy gowns and and walking out to my friends being like oh my god and she was like did you did you google the designer before coming i was like (laughs) no i just kind of just kind of thought every wedding dress store has a bevy of wedding dresses and so i was just so confused i was like oh I, i guess i have some things to learn and and i went to the next appointment and the woman was like close your eyes you're gonna close your eyes and i want you to point to the dress this speaks to you most because the first one you, you try on at the appointment, it's a, it's a big deal. So close your eyes. So I close my eyes. I point to the dress I want. And she goes, no, not that one. <laughs> I said, okay. She put me in like the hideous, the most hideous dresses I've ever seen. And then finally, when I found one I liked, I said, can I try on a veil? And she said, is this the one? And I was like, I don't know. And she was like, well, are you going to cry? Do you feel like crying? I was like, I don't think so. She's like, then this isn't the one. And I, we only bring a veil if it's the one. And I was like, give me the fucking veil right now. <laughs> right now you give me a veil. It was so, so anyway, so after that, I was sort of like, I don't think I understand what's going on with weddings. But and I started posting all the dresses I tried on and complaining about how much they were. This is cute. Like, I like how you're Relating these two dress shopping experiences is very adorable. Can you tell the people how many wedding dresses you tried on? <laughs> yes. I, well, you know, I can't because I lost count, but over 120 <laughs> for sure. And I purchased two and returned them. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, returning a wedding dress, I really don't recommend it. They made you – I was at Kleinfeld's. They made me sign a bunch of paperwork. They were like, listen, ma'am, the moment you sign this – paperwork. This is your dress. I was like, for sure, for sure. And I walked out and I was like, those dresses are ugly. And I like walked back in and I was like, please give me my money back. They're like, never. <laughs> yeah. I it was, I, it was so, I also say this, like I am from a line of DIY, do it yourself, Ugh. trash queens. Okay. You know what I mean? Like we're going to the dollar store, we're coming home, we're redoing all the curtains, our house with the tablecloth. Like <laughs> this is where I'm from. And so I, even though I'm a TV writer, like I, I fully have money now. I was so offended. I was so offended by the price of these dresses because like my mom's a seamstress. Like I know how much tool costs. I know that this is our cheapest fabric, you know? And so I wanted a wedding dress where you'd be like, oh my God, you're the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. And then I would like lean forward and like whisper the price. Like it was like a Maxinista commercial, you know? And you'd be like, what? I'd be like, I know. Can you believe it was $5? And so I wanted a deal, but I also wanted a nice dress. And that was a really impossible search because I just couldn't respect myself if I paid $6,000 for a slip. I mean, I remember back in the day, Beth, did you get the advice? I mean, I've, I've been married almost 20 years. So I was a child bride. And 
I remember they would tell you like it is wild hearing you say 20 years and looking 20 at your face years remember they would tell us like call the venue but don't tell them it's for a wedding yeah do you remember that mm-hmm. advice because it, it's so much more expensive just if you're yes yes they're yeah. scamming you they are always scamming did you how did you conceptualize your wedding for yourself did you oh. think of it as an art project were you doing satire with the dresses like how did you think about this as you got into it <laughs> I was definitely not doing satire with the dresses I genuinely <laughs> wanted to find a wedding dress oh because once I tried on a white wedding dress I then I got bit by the bug and I wanted a second dress to change into yes. so that's why I ended up trying on all those um, wedding dresses but uh, you know what I think what happened is that so Yasser and I we had to, um, I had to move to New York City for the John Stewart job and he was coming with me. And so we had to find a venue early. So we like booked these venue appointments, even though the wedding wasn't for like two years away because we we're going to be gone for a year. And so we went to the first venue and we were like, yeah, seems good. Seems like a room that you stand in, you know, great. And his mom's like, please, please just see three, just see three, just see three of them. And then, then you can choose. And as we were walking through the second one, we're like, we're exhausted. Let's just go with that first one. And then we finally make it to the third one. And we had this idea where we were like, how funny would it be if we hired stand-ins who looked vaguely like us and put them under a sign that said, take a selfie with Yasser and Chelsea. And we get, we did. We ended up giving a speech to our guests. We said, come find us in the back room. We want we want to take pictures with you guys. So they would walk back and be surprised. But that was like one of the first things we came up with. We were, we were just laughing so hard. We were like crying. And the other thing that happened early on is that Yasser brought me a compilation of this old gospel song called Father Stretch. But it, it's like it was like it has drum beats in it and like a full like horn section. And he was like, I think you should walk down the aisle when the drums hit to this song and all the lights should go out and there should just be a spotlight on you. Amazing. This was like the, and I was like, oh my God, what? Me? Stop. <laughs> uh, like, like, a, like a princess? And so he said this and that's when, that was where the whole wedding came from. We're like, okay, we know there needs to be lighting cues because we're now we're gonna have to have a pitch black room or need a spotlight. We need a venue that like has things like that. Uh, we want a choir. We want a band. We always knew we wanted that. And then we wanted these stand-ins. And then the whole wedding kind of came together around that. And then at some point in the process, I was like, I can't, maybe we should have flowers on the tables. Like, I don't know what else. Oh, to the, put centerpiece on you know? the, center, oh, the centerpiece journey. The center, the centerpiece journey killed me. <laughs> And I, Yasser said to me, I don't want a single flower at this wedding. I said, I said, how important is this to you? He said, a 10. <laughs> and, and our visual aesthetic was lights and fog. And every time we told it to people, I would watch the disappointment crest their face <laughs> as they just were so disgusted in what we had chosen. But then when you saw, when you got there and saw photos, it was actually like really beautiful. And like, yeah, the only flowers were in my bouquet. And then we, we threw 300 flowers out at our crowd unsuspectingly to like start. No, you have to tell them about the billboard. The billboard is my favorite. Oh my gosh. So we get to our venue and there's like a low, like it's a, it's a full size highway billboard, but it's like maybe 20 feet lower. I don't know feet, but it was a little bit too low. So it was like really in the cocktail space and because we were touring in the middle of COVID, you know, because we're about to move, I think they were really desperate to, to book an engagement. And they were like, uh, we can cover that billboard for you. Yeah, whatever you want, whatever you want. And, and I was like, oh, okay, cool. So then two years later, I'm like, hey, how do we cover that billboard? And they were like, what are you, what are you talking about, ma'am? And we, I, you know, we, didn't, we weren't going to put up like Chelsea and answers, <laughs> you know, wedding. Um, and so we put up a picture of our moms. <sighs> And we said, uh, I don't think yes, or let me say ass. So it, it was like maybe a very large, I wanted to say big ass wedding. He said a very large wedding by the request of our mothers. And then Ugh. we photoshopped our moms together and they said, no, we'll have a photo shoot. Thank you. Amazing. So they got, hey, they got glam. They got a photographer. They wore white. <laughs> and they, <laughs> but now we have these like beautiful pictures of our moms. And so when you got to the venue, it truly, I was starstruck by our own choice. Cause when you pulled up, there was this Amazing. giant, billboard of our like joyous moms and it like set the tone for everything and so I think the other thing too and like listen did someone reach out to me and say do you want to host a wedding show where you deconstruct weddings and did I say yes yes I did (laughs) so yeah I want to talk about this forever but I think for me going to weddings was always a burden like was it a burden for you guys like I was always like I don't have money for this Mm -hmm. I don't have time for this I can't take off work like they were weddings were burdens and so I really set out to make a wedding experience 
Like for me, it was not my special little day. Like it actually, it was, but I was like, this is your special little day. Mm -hmm. I just don't want it to be a burden for you. And so I also was trying to make it a good experience. I mean, it sounds like I went to your wedding, but I didn't. That's how much you've invited everyone. You were so lovely and supportive in my wedding journey. You helped quite a bit. I was in it because I never stopped caring about wedding. My Instagram like suggestions is still stinking wedding dresses and I've been married for 20 years. It'll be that way for, oh my God, Beth, you gave me the cake idea. Will you share your cake? Well, so I didn't want flower centerpieces either, mostly because Chad and I paid for our wedding, and yeah, that same. was really expensive, um, and, and we didn't like them enough to justify the expense. And so we worked with this baker, and she made cakes for every table, and every layer of each cake had different flavors. And so all of the cakes at the tables were different, and it got people up and, like, roaming around to find the kind of cake that they wanted. It was cute. It was really fun. Yeah. And it's gorgeous, economical. I was not at Best Wedding either, but I would have sampled every, I would not have stopped until, like, Beth knows this, until I sampled every single layer at every single table. Because cake were, is yes, the best part of weddings. They were that so That was good. the best centerpiece idea I think I got. And I got Thank a you. lot of great ones, <laughs> but the cake one, I feel like that should be, like, on my billboard. They should have been on my billboard so let people know you can do it at your wedding. Oh, it's See, just this, so fun. this was my version of wanting a wedding to not be a burden because I had that exact same thought process. So my version was my bridesmaids can pick out their own black dresses. Just whatever black dress you yes, want to wear is yes. great so you can wear it again. We're going to have a cocktail hour before the ceremony so no one's hungry because I've been in so many weddings where I've been starving yeah. and I didn't yep. want anybody hungry. I did not think about like fog and lighting and billboards. <laughs> So I just feel like I didn't push it far enough. But I was in that line of thought with you. Yeah, yeah. No, but I think that I think when you have that line of thinking, you all it's always like a nice wedding. It's it's so funny to be like, oh, it's your special day. It's like, well, you have asked everyone else to come. Like we should think about it for them as well. I always want to feel like I know the people better when I leave. Yes. I I want to feel like I understand you guys better when I leave. If I could have been anybody's wedding, we could have subbed in somebody else. That's why I come. That's, I think that is what I wish, you know, when I went to go be like, what are weddings? I guess I don't know. I wish that was like a more available piece of advice. And like, that was the other thing with ours. The first thing, one of the first things we decided to is that our dress code was trying out to us. I love that so, so and so much. And I think it also really works because knowing us and knowing how crazy we dress, like that, you sort of got it, you know? And so that to me though, also it's like, then you, then you get to like, dress up and put on a like a halo or a feathered cape Amazing. or like a little cane or like a bird and in they your showed hair. up your guest they showed out they, took they showed it. out they took that instruction to heart yes yes they knew we meant business oh so good so good i mean i, I want a full-length feature i messaged you immediately i was like you keep going do people want to know more and i finally was like there's not enough chelsea like just <laughs> keep the steady flow go ahead and do a renewal in like five years we'll all be yeah. in there for that like just there's not enough ever. So just you know, keep it's going. It's so funny because I definitely was like, all I wanted, I mean, I have more to I have more to say, but because we've seen those brides online who are like, you guys, okay, so this, these were our pajamas and our these are champagne glasses. And you're like, okay, we get it, we get it, we get it. I like can't let myself become one of those, but like if given the chance, like uh, I will throw another wedding every day. Do it. Do it. I just it. think it was joyous to be one of your Instagram followers through this process because you allowed it to be fun. Yep. And like, and you just so kind of gave us all permission to like make celebrations our own, to like take yeah. the loose oh. framework of a wedding and then really do you into it. And I love that. Man, thank you. And without distracting from what you were there to do is yeah. really beautiful. What you were there to do is special and beautiful. And worthy of the party around it. To, to actually get married. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? I, I will say, like, I thank you so much for saying that. And Instagram really gave back to me. Ugh. I mean, pe- the people in my DMs truly helped us plan this wedding. And that's the thing, too. So Yasser was shooting a movie until nine days oh my before goodness. the wedding. So I really took the wedding over. And what? was thrilled to do so. Like, I was not like, where are you? I was like, I've got it. Like, Don't me, worry. my bridesmaids, and my Instagram DMs, like, we're going to do this thing. And people had, like, the most incredible ideas and insights. And, like, all the brides and my DMs who had been brides before were like, go to the max. Like, no regrets. Yes. Like, you guys do you. Like, do not, like, like the spirit of their mother-in-laws were speaking <laughs> through them as they said, compromise for no one. And uh, <laughs> I really took it to heart. And, um... 
he and I were like, we spent the whole honeymoon talking about our wedding. And, Mm. you know, when we started the wedding process, we're like, we don't need a fucking videographer. Like, I don't need a video of my dumb wedding, right? We ended the process being like, where's the video? We want to watch it every day. Every day. The best day of our lives. (laughs) Well, and kudos to him because he still came up with his surprise. Uh, wardrobe change, which this man, I said yes, sir. So I changed, I changed dresses three times. People, this is the other thing too. I did compromise. People were like, "Oh, if you spend so much time changing, you're gonna miss the party." Lies. I can do quick changes. I'm a performer. <laughs> Y'all talked me out of two extra dresses, and I feel bad for all of us. Um, but anyways, I I changed three times, and I was like, "Yes, sir. I'm gonna change a bunch." Like, do you want to change? He's like, "Ugh, no, I'm not gonna change." This man, his sibling is a barber, and Brittany shaved his head. In oh between, my god, your face in between the ceremony and the reception. Yeah. And then he put on a wig. So we came out with like him wearing his his normal hair. And then he did a wig reveal during our first dance. He had changed suits. And then I looked over and he came out in a full head to toe camo gear, which (laughs) someone who wasn't going to change. I loved it. And the next morning when we woke up in our suite, I turned to look at him and he has this like plastic digital mask on and like there's little hearts like blinking where the eyes and the mouth are. And I just hear him say, oh, I meant to wear this. (laughs) (laughs) So he really showed out. He really showed out. Oh, that's perfect. Chelsea, thank you so much for spending time with us. It is always a delight. Thank you for letting me discuss comedy and weddings. I, I truly, I feel, um, I feel such a deep friendship with you guys, even though we haven't met. And I will say doing the Apple Spotlight podcast thing, I think the best benefit was supposed to be that it brought more people to my podcast, but the biggest other. benefit was meeting you guys. Aww. So thank you so much. Totally mutual. Mm. It was a good excuse that you were on your honeymoon when we went to see Winona Judd. I guess. But we, we can't have another situation like that. You see what I'm no. saying? Like if there's another opportunity, we have to make it happen. Yeah. Yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online, and we were discussing the fact that I am 43, and she said, I cannot believe how young you look, and I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered shower head purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. 
Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. Thank you so much to Chelsea for joining us today. We would love to hear from all of you about what's funny, what's not funny. Do you like those TED Talks disguised as humor? (laughs) What does it for you? Don't forget to head to our show notes and learn how to become a premium member so that you can join that conversation with other listeners and so you do not miss out on our succession discussions beginning at the end of March. We'll be back in your ears on Friday. Until then, everybody have the best week available to you. Pantsuit Politics is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. Elise Knapp is our managing director. Maggie Penton is our community engagement manager. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers. Martha Brunitsky. Allie Edwards. Janice Elliott. Sarah Greenup. Julie Haller. Helen Handley. Tiffany Hassler. Emily Holliday. Katie Johnson. Katina Zuganellis-Kasling. Barry Kaufman, Molly Kors, Catherine Vollmer, Lori Ladau, Lily McClure, Linda Daniel, Emily Neasley, The Pettins, Tawny Peterson, Tracy Putoff, Sarah Ralph, Jeremy Sequoia, Katie Steigers, Karen True, Annika Uveline, Nick and Elisa Valelli, Amy Whited, Emily Helen Olson, Lee Shea McDonough, Morgan McHugh, Jeff Davis, Melinda Johnston, Michelle Wood, Joshua Allen, Nicole Berkless, Paula Bremer, and Tim Miller.